Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Good morning, everybody. It's good to worship together. And it's good to just catch up with each other, enjoy each other's company. And I promise not to kill the mood with what I'm about to share, which is the joy of judgment this morning. Now, I realise that they are not two words that inherently seem like they're going to go together, all right? And I promise that I didn't just pick them because they alliterate, because don't anybody ever tell David this, but I don't care if it alliterates or not. (laughs) Cue audible gasp. (laughs) We were there as well. But um, I'm excited to share with you this morning, and we are still in our series, Love Builds Up. And we are now into chapters 5, 6, and 7, which Will so accurately described last time he shared as some very spicy chapters. Um, And uh, so Will shared a few weeks ago about the importance of the body. When we look in these chapters, we see the importance of the the body. And um, Rich Pemberton, his special guest speaker, stood up and uh, gave us lots of tips on how we can look after our physical body, including, and I've got to ask, has anybody been squatting at the petrol station or bending over in queues? And has anybody who's done that been asked to stop? I just want to, I need to know. Um, uh, Rich Jones has then interviewed the wonderful Debbie Parker, which you will have been enjoying this week and in weeks to come in your life groups. And uh, she's been, uh, they, were, they were talking about as you are and just enjoying from chapter seven, these verses about really Paul just encouraging this contentment and uh, the, this um, satisfaction with this is where God has called me to be right now and I'm going to make the most of it, whatever situation I find myself in. And, when, where, where that, and even if I believe that that situation is going to change. So. We're going to stay in four, uh, five, six, and seven this week, and um, I want to draw our attention to a theme that I think you can see that actually runs throughout all of 1 Corinthians, um, but particularly in these chapters, which is judgment, okay? I think you see lots of different um, examples of, of Paul encouraging um, judgment about whether it's judging ourselves, judging each other. Um, in, later in the, uh, the book, Judging Doctrine, uh, that he presents, Judging Christian Practice. And so what I want to do is this. I want to look at these three chapters, see where Paul brings judgment or encourages us to do that. And then I want to look at three examples elsewhere in Scripture where we see some of the joys of judgment. And then uh, uh, once we've finished all of that, I'd just like to, to look at where the ultimate joy is. In judgment is found. Is that okay? Good, because that's what I'm going to do. Um, so, I do realise that judgment gets a bit of a bad rap in our uh, current culture, because, but because you know everybody's got their own truth, and we can all decide, and what's right for one person might be wrong for another, and etc. 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 That's what we're told, and like I do think there is some nuance where some of that might be true, but there, there is right and wrong. Okay. And somebody has to make a decision at some point about what's right and what's wrong. And God has done that in a lot of cases. And we then need to apply that to our lives and to the world we live in. All on board? Good. Fantastic. Okay. 
So if we run up against problems with that, it's not that the idea of that judgment is wrong, it's that it's either being applied in a way that's not good, or it's being applied by someone that they're doing it in a way that's not helpful. But Proverbs 31.9 says, Open your mouth, judge righteously, and defend the rights of the afflicted and the needy. The question about judgment is not whether, whether or not we need it, because we do, but how we do it rightly. And so the Bible teaches us that for all of us, there is an ultimate judgment to come, okay? One day, you and I and every person in the world that is and will ever be and has ever been will stand before God and be judged. That's true. And that is sobering. And that's not, um, that, that can seem and, and is to a certain extent scary. <laughs> but for us who have accepted him, we have been judged innocent. We have been judged innocent because of the blood of Jesus. And one day he will separate us from those who haven't accepted him. For those who have chosen to be separate from him and ultimately they will be cast into hell cast into what they've asked for which is an eternity separated from God that's what they've chosen and Jesus talks about this all through the gospels and in Matthew 25 31 to 46 and and I just want to acknowledge that that is sobering that that is not an easy thing to hear as someone with Many people around me who I love who don't know Jesus yet, that is not an easy thing to hear, but it is true. And so I want what is true to motivate me, to move me towards acts of compassion and kindness, towards love, towards boldness in proclaiming the gospel, because like God himself, I don't want anybody to find themselves on the wrong side of that judgment. So we know that this judgment is to come, but what we see in terms of judgment in these three chapters is not particularly about that ultimate judgment. It's about judgments about what to do in certain situations and how to apply the wisdom of God and his word and authority that we've been given into different situations of life. So if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 5, we're going to take a look at these three chapters and look at these examples. So, I'm going to read from chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. So, chapter 5. Um, it says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and sexual immorality of such a kind as it does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. And you have become puffed up and have not mourned, instead, so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst... For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who, is, uh, who has so committed this as though I were present. And in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. You do, uh, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are in fact unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb also was sacrificed therefore let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth 
I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the greedy and swindlers or with idolaters. For when... Um, for then you would have to, to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is sexually immoral person or greedy or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, nor even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Are you not to judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside God, uh, outside God will judge. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So, in verses uh, 1 to 4 here, we see we've got Paul making a judgment about a believer who is sinning in the church and it's ongoing, perpetual, unrepentant sin. And, but he's actually saying to the Corinthians, you guys should have made this judgment. You guys yourselves, I'm having to step in and do something that actually you should recognise you should have done. And then in 5, 6 and 7, we see why he's making this judgment. Okay? And the reason for this judgment is not because he enjoys telling people off. It's not because he just wants us to look good. It's because, ultimately, this is to save the man who is sinning and to protect the church. Okay? So judgment in this situation, bringing what is essentially a... He's judging and bringing a punishment. The reason for that is to save the man's soul to see him in the day of Christ, found in Christ, and to protect the church. Because the church, essentially what this man is doing is it's, is it's compared to leaven. It, this is sowed into the church, this sin is sowed into the church, and then if nothing happens, if nothing changes, if there's no judgment bought, then the church starts to think, well, well maybe this is okay. Or, well, look at what this guy's doing, not even the Gentiles do that, so I can kind of live about here because I'm nowhere near as bad, bad as this guy. Because sin permeates, and it's not good for any of us. And so Paul wants to bring a judgment to protect the church, and ultimately to lead to the salvation of this man. And then he talks about what the judgment should practically be in terms of not associating with him, but then reaffirms that the church should be doing this within the church. This isn't for those who don't identify as Christians. We don't hold up the Bible and say, this is how Jesus tells us to live, and then look at people who don't know Jesus and have no power to do it, and go, well, they don't match up. Of course they don't. Why, how, why would they? How could they? But for those who call themselves Christians and say, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, then actually we should hold each other to a higher standard. It doesn't mean that we come in with condemnation, but it says, hey, you and I, we're following after the same God. He's given us the same way of living, and together we want to pursue him. And for the sake of ourselves, for the sake of each other, and for the sake of the church, we must be comfortable um, with bringing judgment. Okay, it's quiet. That's okay. It's all right. We're going to get there. Chapter 6. Um, into chapter 6, Paul then talks about judging between each other. And uh, essentially what's happening here, we're not going to read this, this part for the sake of time, but, but essentially what's happening here is there's loads of lawsuits among the believers. And this is not for criminal acts. This is essentially like, oh, you haven't paid me for this and you haven't paid me for that. It's, like, it's, a, it's a very much a litigation culture like you might see in America or something like that where it's just everybody's suing everybody. And Paul's just like, this is just embarrassing, this is embarrassing. Do you not know that you're going to judge angels, 
right? And you can't decide between yourselves that Bob owes Bill some money. Like, it's just embarrassing. And we feel this, right? When you look around the world and you look at the church at large and you see somebody do something stupid, all right? It's like watching a family member, isn't it? It's like, oh, no, please don't say that. Please don't do that. Please, this is embarrassing. You feel that. You feel that. And Paul is simply saying here, look, we should protect the church from this kind of embarrassment. And actually... Why are we bringing other people in to weigh in when you guys have the spirit of God in you? Surely there's somebody wise enough to to help with this. And Paul isn't here talking about like criminal activity where people should be handed over to the authorities and that judgment should be brought for the the benefit and the protection of the flock, for the sake of the victims, etc., etc. He's talking essentially about just don't squabble. There's no need to squabble. And if you are squabbling, there should be people among you that can sort this out between you. You can do that. I believe in you. (laughs) But then, at the end of this kind of section, he he goes, so in um, verses 9 and 10, he kind of lists out these different uh, sins and categories of sins. And then in verse 11, he says, As such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And Paul kind of, he brings all these little judgments that you should be making and we should be making about each other and and how we should be protecting each other and how we should be looking after each other and just protecting the integrity of the church. And he says, look, look at this judgment that has been made about you. You are entirely capable of doing this because you are not like this anymore. You are not the this these uh, you are not these you are not the, these people of sin anymore. Instead, you're those who have been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! We are totally capable of bringing these kind of ju- judgments of, of of not squabbling amongst ourselves, of not dividing but instead bringing unity through this judgment that can be made. So, then, into, from verse 12 to verse 20, it says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God not only has raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall, then, uh, shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside of the body, but the the sexual immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? And, uh, And that you are not your own? For you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And so in this part, he switches from calling the church to bring judgment on one another and instead he's saying look you need to bring judgment on yourself you as a believer in Christ who has been washed who has been justified 
You need to look at your life and look at what is good for you and what is not good for you and make judgments about what you should do. Okay? Don't be mastered by anything. Paul said, I'm not going to be mastered by anything. Everything's beneficial for me, but not everything is profitable. And so there's this encouragement. Look at your life. Look at what's good for you. Look at what's not. Really silly but practical example, right? Um, Something that was just not good for me in life is like short reels, videos, TikToks, all that kind of stuff, right? For a few reasons. Firstly, they are the most annoyingly addictive thing I have ever come across. They are just... I've given up smoking, all right? And, and this, like, it's horrible. They're just so addictive. They brought nothing to my life. And, and, but this, here was the big thing for me, right? I, could, I had no idea what was coming next. When you use those videos, you have no idea what's coming next. And so in front of my eyes were put things that I, never would have, that I never wanted there and I never would have chosen to click on and look at, but they're just presented to me. And so I made a judgment. I said, this isn't good for me. This is going to lead me down thoughts of, uh, it's going to lead me into practice and thoughts that are not good for me. And so I brought a judgment. Gone. Don't do that anymore. Don't want that in my home. Don't do that, okay? And we have to do that. We have to look at our lives and just go, when I look at my life, what is leading me towards Christ and what isn't? Might not be sin. Inherently, those videos aren't sinful. Um, uh, You know, that, that mechanism. But there was stuff that I was seeing that was just like, it's not good. I don't like it. I'm getting rid of it, okay? So we should judge ourselves in that way. But also, we should judge any sense of sin in our lives. We should just be willing to say, this is sin, this is wrong, I don't like it, it's going. All right? It's not what God has for you and me. And so he wants us to judge ourselves in that way and have an honest look at our lives. And at the end, he clarifies why we should do this. Because actually, you are not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price. You owe your life to someone, and that is Christ. And so in light of that, live in a way that is reflective of that life that you've chosen. So finally, into chapter 7 on this part, uh, essentially is a mix of Paul making judgments about uh, about his positions as an apostle, a father, a leader, and then saying, hey, this is what God says about this, so definitely do that. And then here's what I think, and I'm pretty wise, but you make a judgment for yourself, okay? You can make a judgment for your own life, on what you should do about marriage, singleness, all these kind of things. And as you look back at the previous chapters, we go through the rest, and and as you go through the rest of the chapters, you constantly see Paul making judgments, encouraging us to make them as well, and so my title is justified. But I can hear what you're saying. All right, Mike, I see the judgments. Where's the joy? (laughs) Because so far, some of these topics do not seem great. They don't seem very happy. This isn't very nice. These are some pretty tough uh, statements. There's some sad situations in here. Um, And when we talk about eternal judgments, the final judgment, honestly, that seems terrifying and pretty awful. I can think of people that I love. I just don't want to be on the wrong side of that. So where's the joy? But the reality is, is that the joy is often from the outcome of these situations. And so I want to just look at three short stories about where we see the outcome of these judgments and see that when a judgment is brought in the right way by the right person at the right time, joy comes from them. So Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 6. Some of you will have been wondering uh, when I was going to get to this because essentially the first sentence seems to completely undo everything I'm saying, which is do not judge so that you will not be judged. So I'll just go home. 
Um, however, let's read the rest of it and look at, the, in my opinion, the most misquoted, out-of-context scripture in the Bible generally. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces." So, here's one of the joys of judgment. One of the joys of judgment is it defeats sin. Okay? That is one of the joys of judgment. Because Jesus is obviously not saying here, don't say something is wrong. Okay? And when I'm talking about judgment, that's what I'm referring to. It's like judging between, is this right, is this wrong, what should we do here, etc., etc. He's obviously not saying, don't say that. So what is he saying? I don't even think he's not saying, don't allow a consequence. Because when you look at the context, he does want us to be able to help take the speck out of our brother's eye. He does want that. He's just saying the correct order to do that is to do it yourself first and get the massive giant log out of your own face before you start trying to help anybody else. Because the outcome of this judgment is so much better Because when I've judged myself first and then I go to help my brother, it means we can both see properly and we're both restored. Don't you know how much better we can help each other when we deal with things in our own life first? All right, if I bring a judgment in my own life, I'm going to approach the person next to me very, very differently. Because if I've already dealt with something in my life, I'm going to go to them and not be like, this needs to change, you need to deal with this. But instead you go, I've been there. I've walked this road. I've been down this path. And I promise you that Jesus can give you all you need so you don't have to be trapped in sin. You don't have to be mastered by this any longer. And I promise you I'm going to stand with you and I'm going to walk with you as people did with me to make sure that this sin never owns you, never overtakes you, and that we can present ourselves to Jesus pure, holy, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. as a very, very different situation. But if we don't bring that judgment on ourselves first, if we don't do that, if we don't allow that sin to be defeated in our own life, then we can't do that for others. We won't have any strategies or wisdom or help to actually be able to go alongside someone and say, this is how you deal with it. Instead, you sat with them going, yeah, me too. It's not great, is it? Or you get on your high horse and say, you should change. And really, you have no idea what it's like to be dealing with what they're dealing with. And actually, your log's swinging around, smacking everybody in the face anyway, and it's just horrible. Log in your eye is swinging around, smacking everybody in the face. Anyway. Um, Yeah, thank you. Uh, So, so the word here, judgment, all right, uh, judge not, okay, is a very... Uh, So it can be translated as other things, not just judgment. And one of the words it can be translated as is condemn. Okay? That word, do not judge, do not condemn. All right? This is the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about that he doesn't want, right, for each other. So this leads me on to my second story. If you want to go to John chapter 8. And I want to say this, one of the joys of judgment is that it saves lives. 
John, chapter 8, one of my favourite stories in the Bible. So forget time, I'm going to read it because it's awesome. Uh, Chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery and having her set in the centre of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, uh, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so they might have some evidence to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote in the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And he stooped down and he wrote in the ground. And when when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up. Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you, judge you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Beautiful story, magnificent story. Now, it's obvious that Jesus didn't not make a judgment, okay? Jesus didn't let her get away with this. He judged and showed mercy. That's very different. That's very different. Jesus didn't let her get away with it and just think, oh, it doesn't really matter. Let's pretend it doesn't happen. He knew what happened. He knew what should be done. And he judged and showed mercy. And then his final judgment in this was to say, now go on and sin no more. He just didn't bring condemnation. And you know, this judgment, literally in this moment, saves this woman's life. But the judgment that he rendered, the mercy that he showed, and then the instruction that he gave, now go and sin no more, saved her life time and time and time and time again. Because every time she might have gone back to that sin, she could have heard his words in her ears, go and sin no more. This is not who I am anymore. This is not what I'm going to do. And this is the beauty of judgment, is it saves lives. Because it brings proper instruction. It brings the way that we should walk and go and makes it clear to us. So, the last one is that judgment brings the joy of restoration. 2 Corinthians, chapter 2. Uh, chapter 4 to 11 says for out of uh, much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears not so that you would be made sorrowful but so that you might know the love for which I abundantly uh, I have abundantly for you but if anyone uh, but if any has caused sorrow he has caused sorrow not to me but in some degree in order not to say too much to all of you Sufficient for such a one is this punishment which was inflicted by the majority. So that on the contrary, you should rather graciously forgive and comfort him, lest such a one be swallowed up by excessive sorrow. Therefore, I encourage you, reaffirm your love for him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might know your proven character, whether you are obedient in all things. 
but for one whom you graciously forgive anything, I graciously forgive also. But indeed, what I have graciously forgiven, if I have graciously forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken uh, of, uh, taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. So, this, uh, this story here is essentially Paul saying, you've, if you've brought a judgment, you have, as part of that judgment, you have um, issued a, um, a punishment, which was the exclusion of this person from the gathering, from the gathering of the church. And what this has done is caused repentance to come to this person. We don't know 100% um, if this is the same person from 1 Corinthians um, who was put out of the church because of his his, his sexual immorality. But what we do know is the judgment was intended to bring the same thing, right? The judgment was there, the punishment was there to make this person see that actually they've made a terrible mistake and they need to repent, And that might seem harsh, but our prayer and our hope is that this man is now with Christ. Not that he felt bad for a period of time. I'm I'm not worried about that. I'm ultimately worried about myself and every person in this room and every person that will join us, that they make it to be with Christ. Whatever we have to suffer here is worth it to ultimately be united with Christ. And we have to remind ourselves of that because the things of this world can be so all-encompassing. But we have something much more important to aim for. And this is beautiful about judgment is that it's the purpose of it and what it can bring is restoration. This person repented. They're restored to the community. Praise God. And they're restored to Christ. And so we've looked at some of the joys of judgment. This is the last thing that I want to share. But I do believe that there is an ultimate joy in judgment. And um, that's this. That we have a perfect judge. And all of his judgments are perfect. Psalm 48 verse 11 says, Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Remember, we're Zion. We're Mount Zion and we rejoice in his judgments. Psalm 97, 8, Zion has heard and was glad and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of your judgments, O Yahweh. Psalm 7, verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Anybody love his appearing? (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. There's a crown of righteousness for us. Psalm 9, verse 4. You have maintained justice and my cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. And the truth is, when judgment is done well, even when it's done well, sometimes it can still seem harsh. Sometimes we might not understand the full story, we might not think the punishment really fits the crime, or maybe it's the other way. Maybe we think someone got off way too lightly. Maybe we want to see someone get what they deserve. But our judge is perfect 
all his judgments are right. We might not know the full story. We're probably not seeing the full picture. But on the day when we all stand before him, none of us will argue. None of us will sit there and think this doesn't seem right. And in the meantime, until we see it, we have to trust him. We have to trust him. And where we don't, we have to learn to trust him. And we have to believe that he is right and recognize in ourselves if we question his judgments or wonder whether he was really right, maybe we think we could have been kinder. Maybe we think we could have been more, um, more accurate in our judgment. We have to realize that that is a, an issue with us, not with the judge. And we have to learn to trust him all the more. To ask him to change any attitude in us that needs to change and believe that he really is the righteous and perfect judge. This is the joy of judgment is that we sat, we sit under the judgment seat of the perfect, righteous, wonderful judge who will not be wrong, who has seen everything, who will not make a mistake and we will rejoice in his judgment. There is joy in judgment. We're not to avoid it. We're to judge our own lives, to bring judgment in the church together for our protection and for one another. It's sin-defeating. It's life-saving, and it brings restoration. And our ultimate joy is found in the righteous judge who judges fairly and rightly, and we will trust him. When I don't understand him, or even when it doesn't seem right to me, I realize I'm the one that needs to change, and I will ask him to change me. I just want to pray to finish. I want to say thank you, Lord, for being trustworthy. Thank you for being the righteous judge. God, give us strength, grace, and mercy to bring judgment where it's needed and to help us to see how right you are in every single situation. Lord, we want to see what you see. We want to see the way that you do. Lord, may we trust in you more and more. And Lord, give us opportunities to be saved from, by bringing judgments here on earth. To see people transformed and saved in situations and ultimately saved from that judgment to come. Lord, those people that we love, those people that we think of, that we're so desperate to know you, God. Lord, save them and give us a part to play in that, Jesus. Let us not be content with their decisions so far. But Lord, we pray for them now. We lift them up to you. And pray that they will find you because you love them and you want your kindness to lead them to repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I have made really clear this morning is that one day we are all going to stand before a judge. And he will judge you and he will judge me. And I just want to say to you this morning that if you are here and you are not a Christian, you too will face that judgment. But the judge that you will stand before loves you. And he has paid the price. He has done everything so that you can stand there and your judgment can be innocent. And you can spend your life now, however long you've not been with him, building towards that future. Building with him a life that will bring him joy 
and that will completely change your life. And all you need to do to be able to enjoy that judgment is to stand before him and say, yes, I am guilty. I am guilty. That's my judgment. And he will say, I will come and judge you innocent. Christ died for you so that you could be forgiven, so that the price could be paid that we all enjoy. (laughs) We all know that safety and that security. And so if you're here, and to be honest, you just know that you're guilty. That's, That's okay. We have all been there. But the question is, what do you do with that now? And so I just want to invite you to make that decision to say, God, would you forgive me? because I'm guilty and I need your forgiveness. And God, I want to make you Lord. I want to make you king in my life. And I want to follow you. And I want to go where you lead me because you are a good and righteous judge. So I just ask everybody to to bow their heads. And if that's you this morning, if you want to make that decision for the first time, then I just ask you to pray this prayer. And I would encourage you to raise your hand and just to let us know that because we want to help you to make that decision every day, to keep walking, to bring those judgments in your own life, to follow Christ so that at the end of your life, you can be confident you're going to stand before him and he is going to judge you innocent. And so I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you could just repeat it after me then I know that God will come into your life and he will save you, as we all have known. If you're a Christian and you've prayed this prayer before, that's fine. You can pray that out loud just to support the people around. So I'm going to pray and just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are a right judge. And I know that my judgment would be guilty. And so, Lord, I need you to forgive me. Jesus, please forgive me for the things I've done wrong. And would you change me so that I live differently from now on? God, thank you that you sent Jesus, that he died and was raised from the dead. And I am going to follow him for the rest of my life. Amen. If you could just keep your heads bowed for a second. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, could you just lift your hands or lift a hand? Just let somebody know. And I'd just like to encourage you to just head over, even if you've not raised your hand, head over to the uh, corner at the end of the meeting. There's people that would love to talk with you, share with you and help you in that decision. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.